Welcome to the Dog Friendly KW Podcast with your host, Justina McKenzie on Midtown Radio KW. Today, we are joined by Christine Hillis. Christine is a registered social worker with a Master of Social Work who works in the mental health fields. She is trained in bereavement and grief and has dedicated some of her work to supporting people who have experienced pet loss. So today we're going to discuss grief and loss with our pets. So let's get to it. And the seas are getting rough and it is getting harder to see your face. Welcome to the Dog Friendly KW Podcast with your host, Justina McKenzie on Midtown Radio KW. So today we are joined by Christine Hillis from Seeing Through the Label to discuss grief and pet loss. We're so thrilled to be chatting with Christine about this today. Well, thrilled is like a, yeah, it's yeah. a unique word to use for that. But um, we expect there might be some tears as we dive into this really important topic. So without further ado, welcome, Christine. Thank you. We're so happy you're here. I'm excited too. I know it's it's a heavy topic and hard to talk about, but it's important. Mackenzie and I, we were joking about not letting this turn into like a therapy session. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very important though, because th- these animals are such a part of our lives for so long. And when, as soon as they're gone, I'm sure they're I've been through it, but you, you're lost. You're lost. You don't know what to do. Uh, it's a really tough one. Um, so I think, yeah, let's get started and, uh, we'll see how it goes. I feel it'll, this will be good. (laughs) Are you already trying not to cry? Yeah. I'm amping myself up. Okay, here we go. So let's get started. So Christine, can you tell us a bit about yourself? And of course, uh, we'd love to hear about your furry companions and, Let's let's hear it. Yeah, so I have lived in KW all of my life, um, and I've been following you guys for lots of great tips of where to take my pup. I have a two and a half year old Bernese Mountain Dog, so he is 125 pounds and a big ball of fluff, uh, who's super friendly, but unfortunately has that classic Bernese trait of the Bernese lean and can knock over people if we're not careful. So <laughs> he forgets about his size, um, and then. And we also have Hank the cat. It was just Hank. Hank does Hank. Hank is Hank. I love that. <laughs> that describes most cats, I feel. I love cats. Don't get me wrong, but they're uh, special. They're uh, different. <laughs> Hank, H- Hank and Bernard get along well? Oh, yeah. They definitely do. They're very funny together. Uh, very interesting companions. I love when I, like, come downstairs and Hank is sleeping on Bernard's bed and Bernard is sleeping on the floor beside his bed because Hank is boss and Hank will always be boss. And is he taking up like one eighth of the bed? Oh no, he's lying in the middle of the bed. 
Like it's a big bed. So he is small on the bed, but he stays right in the middle to be like, no, this isn't a sharing situation. Claiming that space. Oh, cats. Hilarious. (laughs) Oh, good. All right. Uh, Let's dive into the hard stuff, shall we? Um, Can you tell us a bit about the work you do around pet loss and why you believe this topic is so important? Yeah, so I have worked in mental health and addictions for a lot of years, about nine years. Um, And then I kind of changed focus on where I was or how I was practicing Um, a few years ago. It was probably... I want to say almost like three or four years ago now, um, we had our dog Arrow pass away and it was really hard for us. He actually was very young. At the time when we got Arrow, we didn't know a lot of what we know now in terms of backyard breeding and making sure that you're not supporting those businesses. Um, So we had gotten him from a backyard breeder and at about a year and a half, he developed pretty significant neurological issues. So he had cluster seizures, which meant that he would basically continue having seizures until he was hospitalized. So we probably went through at least a dozen hospitalizations, if not more, within nine months. We really got to know the neurological team at um, OBC really well. So we were there constantly with Arrow. And after nine months of trying different medications, trying different treatments, they just said to us, like, there was really not much left. And unfortunately, there was brain damage every time there was a hospitalization. So we had to say goodbye to Arrow. And that time period of my life was like one of the hardest, most devastating. Um, And I remember like taking time off work when he was really sick and needing to take that mental health time and just finding that it wasn't that people weren't trying their best to be supportive, but a lot of people they didn't know what to say, or even professionals that I was seeing. Like I, I had a therapist already that I sometimes saw and went to her and talking to my family doctor, it was people just kind of seemed like at a loss. And because it's such a hard and difficult conversation, I think sometimes that discomfort leads people to not want to engage as much as really would be helpful. So I started to look into you know, how can I help other people go through this difficult time in their lives? Because I've always practiced practiced with this standpoint of trying to be somebody that I wish I had had in earlier years in my life. So really just dove into pet loss research, um, really wanting to learn more about it, understand it more because I knew in my heart that it was so devastating and so important, but I wanted to know the information, the research as to why it is so important. And you're right, Mackenzie, they are huge, huge parts of our lives. And there's so many different factors that make pet loss so devastating. And sometimes it's even something as simple as proximity, right? Like physical proximity that our animals have with us, that when you lose an animal, it's a constant reminder because I don't know about you guys, but for Bernard and for how Arrow was, like I would wake up in the morning and they're there. You know, you go, you're making your breakfast and somebody's creeping in the kitchen to get some cheese. Like, it's just a constant that they're there, right? Yeah. Aladar's on my lap right now. She is my like security blanket almost. Like we've 
yeah, that's the kind of bond we have with each other. She's always there. So I, yeah, that's something that of course we never want to think about, but yeah, we do have to accept the fact that when the time comes, yeah, you're, you're, I hate to call them this, but they're like furry therapists. They're gone. Yeah, they are. So and I, I think during the pandemic too, it's changed our relationship with our pets and think it's going to make that even more challenging for people. I mean, like you can see Marshall right now. This is where he sits all day when I'm working. He is beside me, which probably isn't super healthy, <laughs> but I love it. And he's always there. And yeah, I can't imagine him not being in close proximity, but mm-hmm. that's a, yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Christine. That yeah, thank is, you. that's quite a story. And we've talked a lot about backyard breeders on the podcast and we have really, you know, strong values about those types of situations and your story paints a picture as to why um, we don't support or approve of backyard breeders because that's so heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things that, you know, I would never have taken away the relationship that I had with Arrow because he people always talk about how you have those like animals in your lives that are your soulmates. And I 100% think that like Arrow is my soulmate. Like we had the strangest relationship where we would go and even dog trainers were like, you just know like what the other one is thinking. And people used to laugh because I wouldn't even give real commands. I would just be like, hey, can you go over there and do, and he would just like go do what I wanted him to. Like it was just that like on the same wavelength. That's so nice. Well, let's, um, we've got one more question before we take a quick break. So we were wondering, is there a healthy way to grieve the loss of a pet? And how can somebody start to move forward after they lose a pet? Yeah, so a lot of our typical like mental health coping strategies can be really helpful. So whatever people are usually kind of their go to's uh, can be really helpful. There are two kind of big different ones, though, when we're looking at grief and especially with pet loss, the first being it's important to have someone witness your grief. So that is as simple as it sounds. It's just somebody who sees that you are grieving and you are in pain, finding somebody who is okay sitting in that discomfort and being okay with just you being in pain, not expecting anything from you, not trying to take that pain away or fix the problem, but just being there to witness it can be really powerful. The other thing is something that we call um, continuing bonds. So continuing bonds basically means that the relationship with our pet doesn't end in death, where we can still stay connected to them even after they're not with us physically. So a lot of this stuff is stuff that naturally we start to do anyways, where we're looking at old photos and old videos, holding on to those mementos, those things that were important to us with this animal. Sometimes it's particular places. So we used to always take Arrow to Steckle Woods and we love it there. And there's this spot in it. He used to always jump on this one log, like completely unprovoked. We didn't ask him to do it. Every time we passed by this log, he jumped on it. So still, when my husband and I walk by it, we take a moment, we say hi to Arrow, we maybe sit on the log for a minute. So it's finding those ways to, yeah, still feel connected and still feel that connection. 
I think you had actually um, sent us a message or had commented because I think I go to Stuckowitz all the time because it's right around the corner. And I think I had taken a picture of Marshall on that log and you had commented saying that that was Arrow's spot, which is just like so sweet. And we also love Stuckowitz. It's a beautiful spot. So that's like such a nice special memory to keep. Mm-hmm. One thing um, I've noticed, which is um, just on social media, there's a lot of uh, dogs who have Instagram accounts or what have you, or animals that have Instagram accounts. And the owner will actually keep that Instagram active and they'll still post after the loss of an animal. And, um, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to be totally transparent. When I first saw that, I thought that's strange. Like, why would that person do that? But, but after a while, exactly like you're saying, like to see those pictures, to reminisce every time they post, to just think about that animal, um, after loss like that, yeah, that, is uh quite special um in a in a way so thank you so much christine for sharing all of that uh we are going to take a quick break and when we come back uh, we're going to dig a bit deeper into how to cope with some specific emotions after losing a pet uh we will be right back Welcome back to the Dog Friendly KW podcast with your hosts, Justine and Mackenzie on Midtown Radio KW. So today we are talking with Christine Hillis from Seeing Through the Label about pet loss, which has been a very sad topic so far, but very informative. Very informative. I felt like slightly teary in the first segment and I was like, not already. (laughs) (laughs) Too soon. So, Kenz, do you want to kick us off with the first question? Sure. So, um, Christine, I think there is sometimes an element of guilt that stems from the loss of a pet. So, as an example, like, oh, if I had only done X, Y, Z, maybe the dog would have lived longer, et cetera, et cetera. Um, How do you recommend working through that sort of guilt after the loss of a pet? Yeah, and I think it's so important to even just note how normal it is to experience that guilt because guilt is a huge component of grief, but especially within pet loss, it's even compounded because of the fact that like we are the caretakers for our animals. They rely on us for everything. And sometimes they're the one or we're the ones who have to make that decision in terms of when to end their life. And that's so hard and so heavy and that guilt can be so normal and it's not always you know oh I have this guilt that I made this decision or should I have made this decision sooner or should I have tried this treatment or whatever because there is no way of knowing so I think a big thing is to kind of normalize just that that guilt feeling is probably going to be there for pretty much everybody um And it's interesting because sometimes we talk within the world of grief and trauma 
that there's the difference between knowing something at a cognitive cognitive level and knowing something on a gut level. So some of us can know cognitively, okay, the vet told me this was time to say goodbye. So I know this as a cognitive rational level, but it doesn't feel true in my gut. So the hope is that with discussing it, again, going back to having someone kind of witness your grief, um, when we talk about shame a lot, um, one of the biggest ways to fight shame is to have someone hear it, right? Because as soon as we live with this shame, we have this terrible shame voice in our heads, and it can be about anything, including if we're feeling this kind of guilt after the loss of an animal, that if we just sit with it in our brains, then those voices keep going of, oh, you did a terrible thing, you're a terrible person, and that spirals. And once we start talking about it openly and out loud, sometimes even just having someone else hear it, not necessarily telling us, oh, you did make the right decision or whatever that validation is, sometimes just airing that out helps us to kind of come to terms and join that kind of logical and gut level a little bit closer together so that we can bring that on. Um, Part of that is like actually just kind of processing through it. So sometimes it does take some time for that guilt feeling to start to ease. So even just knowing that it's okay and it's normal to have those guilt feelings. And eventually the hope is that that guilt starts to lessen and starts to feel, it starts to feel more true that you did the best that you could and you made that decision the best that you could. And of course, if you're ever kind of feeling stuck within that guilt or stuck within that processing, those are times that it is helpful to reach out to a professional to do some more of that kind of processing work and to dig deeper into why are you stuck on these feelings of thinking bad things about yourself or thinking these negative things, especially again, when that guilt turns to shame and our lovely researchers like Dr. Brené Brown talk a lot about that kind of guilt and shame. I love her. Um, She's my girl. Yeah. <laughs> guru, guru Brené Brown. Um, she I have like all her books are up on my <laughs> shelf above my head. <laughs> but yeah, one of the big things that she talks about the difference between guilt and shame is guilt is I did a bad thing and then shame becomes I am a bad person. So especially when those thoughts start to turn into I am a bad person and there's something wrong with me, those are good times to pull in somebody, either somebody that we trust, that we can talk openly about these shameful feelings that we're feeling or reaching out again to a professional who can help through that processing. Another question, follow up. Um, so replacing a pet after the loss of one, I think this is a really big one. Um, I personally see this a lot. Um, I'm of course on social media, um, people lose an, an animal and then um, they're told to get another one to replace the broken pieces of their heart, whatever cheesy thing you wanna say along <laughs> that. <laughs> um, but is that a healthy coping mechanism to replace the animal so like, of course, people are going to get other animals like that. That's the way it goes. But how would you recommend like navigating this? Is there like a healthy time period or, or how does that work? Yeah, and this is so controversial. And I love that we are talking about this as well, um, because it really is dependent on the person in terms of like timelines and everything like that. But the biggest thing for me is always kind of questioning what is the purpose? 
So why are you seeking another animal? Because for some people, you know, this might be their like emotional support. It might be like a, a companion that they are more of a working dog and they need that replacement. Or, you know, they feel like I want to keep going out on these hikes and I don't want to do that by myself. So I'm taking on another dog. So starting to kind of question what the reason is. I think it's such a great point, Christine, anytime you're getting a pet, like it doesn't matter when it's at the end of the day, like, why do you want a pet? Why do you want a dog? And Mackenzie and I have talked about this a lot because we both had dogs in our early twenties that we probably shouldn't have had because we weren't in the right stage of life. And we just wanted dogs because we wanted dogs. And when I got Marshall last year, I got a dog because I knew that I could give a really, really, really great life to a dog that needed a really great life. And I was at a stage in my life where, you know, that's what I wanted to commit my time to. And that's so different than the reasons many, many years ago, but to layer like grief and loss into that makes it so much more complicated because dogs aren't easy and puppies aren't easy. And I can't imagine navigating new puppy life and all the frustration and the tiredness and the pee accidents while you're still grieving your, your past pet who maybe was well-trained and was a bit older and was less of a pain in the butt. (laughs) I totally agree with that. And it's interesting because I think there is like, there's always going to be some of that because I know for myself, for lots of other people that I've talked to about that still, when you have that second pet and they're going through the trials and tribulations of puppyhood and teenage times (laughs) and you're dealing with all that, then there's still that kind of like, Oh, like, remember, like, remember how good, you know, this dog was remember. And that's normal. And that's going to be, you know, a part of it. And there is this kind of natural sense to want to compare. So it can be so dangerous to rush into that because, you know, if you're comparing while still really, really missing and like painfully missing that animal, that's so hard. Yeah. That's what I was just going to say. I, I I have the feeling like the comparison is just so natural to come to, to anybody, even after the extended loss of a pet. So say you lost a pet years ago, I feel like that's always going to happen, but yeah, especially again, layering on the pain, the grief, whatever it else, uh, other emotions are tied to that on top of that. Yeah. That, yeah, that's um, very interesting. That was incredible incredibly insightful. Thank you, Christine, for that. Um, We are going to take a quick break and come back uh, for one last question. Welcome back to the Dog Friendly KW Podcast with Justine and Mackenzie on Midtown Radio KW. And today we have been chatting with Christine from Seeing Through the Label about pet loss. So before we wrap up today, Christine, we have a one last question. 
Um, so we've talked a lot about how to manage personal experiences with pet loss, but how can we help someone else who is grieving the loss of a pet? I think one of the biggest things to remember is that we can't take away or fix anybody else's pain. So as much as we see the people in our lives hurting and we want to just make it better and fix it for them, sometimes those methods of trying to, you know, talk to people about how to get over it and what they should do and you should do this and giving those kinds of suggestions and telling people what to do does not always get taken on very well because as the person who is struggling, they may feel this discomfort in the way that people are talking about it. So we talked earlier about witnessing someone's grief and that is so important just to be able to be there, to hear the stories, to you know share in tears. And sometimes it is nice to kind of share your favorite stories with them as well. Like I always love hearing other people's stories about Arrow and sometimes sharing that can be helpful, um, but really kind of trying to steer away from yeah, just like telling people what to do or how to fix it. Some of the other small things too that people sometimes do that can be helpful is like sending someone food, right? Like sending a delivery service to deliver their favorite food or, you know, dropping off, you know, a comfy blanket. Like some of those smaller comforts can be really nice as well. Um, but yeah, a lot of people talk about how after they lose an animal that sometimes there's either this kind of feeling of, dismissal or discomfort. Um, pet loss is something that we call disenfranchised grief, which means that it's grief that's not always societally accepted. And sometimes this happens where people make those comments of, you know, just a dog and things like that. And for anybody who's lost a dog, you know, obviously that's not something that we agree with because they're not there our whole lives. Um, and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know that dogs are your whole life. Um, but I think sometimes that people make these comments or try and convince you how to get over it or that you should get over it because they want you to feel better. Like, I think that it honestly does come from that place of, I don't want you to be in pain anymore. So let me just tell you to not be in pain anymore. But yeah, really just like sitting with somebody in their pain and discomfort can be so powerful. And it's not always about, you know, saying or doing the right thing. It's just physically being there. Yeah, I think those are those are so many good good tips and it just makes me like think of like all my like empathy skills. I mean, now you've got two social workers on the call, so sorry everybody. Um, <laughs> but it just like it really does like make me reflect on like everything I know about empathy and one of my favorite things that I keep in my mind whenever I'm trying to support somebody that's going through something. Two things actually is never ever 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 say at least. Mm -hmm. I've just like removed that phrase from my vocabulary because if you are using the phrase at least blah, 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 at least you had the whole life with your dog, at least you had 10 years, that's not empathy. Mm -hmm. And you're not sitting with that person and you're not witnessing with their, like witnessing their grief, you're minimizing mm -hmm. it. And I think the other thing that people don't recognize with empathy is that when you're being empathetic, you're not connecting 
to that what that person has experienced. You're not connecting to the fact that they lost their dog. You're connecting with the emotion and you're connecting with their grief. So if you've ever experienced grief, whether it's with a person or it's the end of a relationship or a family member's died, it doesn't matter what actually happened. What matters is that you know what it feels like to to experience that emotion. And I don't, those are just some things that I try to remind myself when I'm supporting people who are maybe going through something that I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Never say at least. I learned that from you, Justine. Thank you. Right. I'm pretty sure I probably got it from like a Brene Brown video. Mm -hmm. I think you did because you showed it to me. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right. Anyway. Wrap us up. (laughs) Okay. So thank you so much, Christine, for taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you. It was fun. This was a heavy topic, but we are so grateful to have you shedding light on such an important part of our lives. So if you would like to work with Christine or are interested in learning more about pet loss, uh, visit her on Instagram at seeing through the label. That's at uh, seeing underscore through underscore the underscore label <laughs> or on her website at seeing through the Thanks for listening to the Dog Friendly KW podcast, and we will see you next week. Tell your father the witching hour is dead. Watching the time slip away And the seas are getting rough And it is getting hard